here we have uh, a, a great example of exactly what some of these skeptics say. Oh, it's just because he wanted to date this girl. It's just because of that. That's what got him into the Christianity. Yeah, partly. That's part of it. It's a big deal. God is not stupid. God comes at people in whatever way it takes to open them up. And they can still resist. But the fact that now he, there's this girl that is important to him in his life, and she happens to be a Christian, and okay, well, maybe I need to take a closer look at this. It doesn't mean that the apologetics, the evidence, the facts didn't wasn't important to him. It's just that this, uh, this, this girl made him open up to it a little bit. Today, we're gonna to be doing something a little bit different. We're not taking a look at atheists. We're taking a look at people who were formerly atheists and God used apologetics to bring them to faith. And specifically, we are going to be taking a look at that question. I get it all the time, uh, people asking me from both Christians and non-Christians, how is it that prayer and apologetics go together? Um, seems like those don't work. If you're praying, then that means there's something other than the provision of evidence that's going on. Um, and if there's evidence being produced, then how does the work of the Holy Spirit mix into all of that? Especially for those of you who may have a slightly different theological understanding of things than I do, who are still my brothers and sisters in Christ, but are Calvinists. So atheists, Calvinists, non-Calvinists, people of other religions, I think this is going to be a good episode and hopefully an encouraging episode because I think it's important to see not just the, what's wrong with what atheists say, but what's right about what those people who came out of atheism have to say about it. Uh, some of these people may be familiar to you if you're used to YouTube Christian apologetics and atheism discussions and things that go on there. But there's something specific I want you to notice in each of these cases, and I'll go ahead and tell you what it is. Um, I'll tip my hand to this. What I want to show is in these three cases, I've selected three cases where God used apologetics in the life of someone to bring them to that point of faith. I'm also going to tell a couple of my own personal stories of people that I've witnessed to and seen this happen. But uh, people who've come to faith because God used the evidence, but also were in very interesting situations that were a little bit suspicious and were probably the result of prayer. So we're going to see how God uses prayer and circumstances and apologetics all together so that you can see that it is helpful to pray. It's also helpful to act in uh, providing evidence. And so we're going to take a look at these together. So I don't want to take too much time. First, I'm going to show you the a little bit of the testimony by David Wood. David Wood runs Act 17 Apologetics, which has uh, predominantly been a YouTube channel focused on reaching people who are in Islam, although occasionally there's something, a debate with an atheist or something there. But David Wood's channel David Wood's channel is incredible. I, I, I think you'll love it. And if nothing else, go watch this testimonial video because it will probably leave you in tears. Um, and uh, so I, I even noticed sometimes the atheists that are commenting on that YouTube video, they're a little bit more you know, respectful because of the gravity of what David Wood came out of. But to set this up just a little bit, it's important to say that, actually I want to start here, that David Wood was... Um, in uh, David Wood was sent to prison. I, I don't want to spoil why he was sent to prison, but what he did was pretty graphic and pretty serious. And uh, he was an atheist, and he was sent to prison, and something interesting happened while he was in prison. I'm going to play just a little bit of that right now. When I was in E-Block in the jail, I met a Christian named Randy, a guy who had turned himself in for 21 felonies. Randy seemed like he was from another world. Um, there'd be a fight in the dorm and he wouldn't watch. He, uh, he'd turn his head away and pray for it to stop. Our main source of entertainment and he's praying against it. 
Christians crack me up. Randy was lying on his bunk reading his Bible one night, and I walked up to him and said, Do you know why you're reading the Bible? You're reading the Bible because you were born in the United States. If you've been born anywhere else, you believe in something else. If you've been born in China, you'd be a Buddhist. If you've been born in India, you'd be a Hindu. If you've been born in Saudi Arabia, you'd be a Muslim. Because people like you believe whatever you're told to believe. I've since heard other atheists say the same thing in almost exactly the same words. So I take it that this is a common atheist view of Christians, which is hilarious in its level of hypocrisy. I believe that the universe exploded out of nowhere for no reason, and that life formed on its own, and that consciousness was a natural product of particle interactions in our brains and that moral values were nothing but societal indoctrination and that Jesus followers made up a story about him rising from the dead because they wanted his message to spread. I believed all of this without anything remotely resembling a careful investigation of the evidence, which means I believed a lot of what I'd been told. But I'm pointing a finger at the Christian. Why? Because it's much easier to make fun of someone else than to do the difficult work of putting together a coherent, well-grounded belief set. Something interesting happened when I made fun of Randy. He fought back. Lots of Christians will go into retreat mode if you start arguing with them. They don't want to cause a scene. But Randy sat up on his bunk and proceeded to embarrass me about some of the things I was saying. I was totally shocked. I didn't know what was going on. I'm the smartest, most advanced human being the world has ever seen. And night after night, when we were arguing, uh, Randy was just taking me to a, to a school. And he wasn't smarter than me. He didn't have any special knowledge or degrees. He, um, he wasn't a scientist or a philosopher. He just had an annoying habit of questioning everything I would say. And when I would try to answer his questions about what I was saying, it would become clear to him uh, and to me that many of my beliefs, when put into words, sounded really, really stupid. Things that made perfect sense when unquestioned made no sense at all when questioned. I became so frustrated by our arguments that I began looking for other ways to defeat Randy. Okay, uh, you'll have to watch the testimony to get the rest of that story, but uh, we are going to look in a moment to uh, what happens later on in his journey. But uh, first thing I want to say is, uh, first of all, uh, do you think there are people who are praying for David Wood? Probably. I can't prove that, but there probably were people praying for David Wood. Uh, certainly people that work in ministries that uh, visit the prisons and things like that, they're probably praying for all the prisoners. But anyway, uh, the bottom line is, it's a little bit suspicious. It's a little bit suspicious to me that David Wood ends up in a cell with a Christian who is prepared to talk to, about some of these deeper issues with him. Again, not not a particularly smart person, not a scholar or scientist or a philosopher, but just a, a Christian who kind of knows why he believes what he believes. Now, you might say, yeah, but there's a lot of people in prison who are Christians. Oh, indeed, there are. A lot of them became Christians while they were in prison. Uh, it's it's you know, fascinating to me that um, they'll, they'll allow people to do that kind of ministry in prison uh, once people have really messed up their lives. But um, in the public school system, it's a different story. But hey, we won't go there. But I will say this. Uh, here in looking at David Wood, he ends up in uh, this cell with this particular Christian. I mean, yeah, there's probably other Christians there. But this guy, uh, as I've heard David Wood tell this story many times before, not only had the actual Christian fortitude to live out what he believed, but he was also willing to talk about things. And without getting, you know, without, without you know, 
making it an issue not without you know upsetting David except by answering his questions at least is how I understand the story so I just find it a little bit suspicious so uh, we're gonna see that there's some apologetics that go into this in just a moment and that's of course very important but the apologetics opportunity would have never arisen were it not for our God uh, uh, arranging things such that David Wood would be in the right place to hear from the right person who could get through to him, who could impact his life. It's a powerful thing. Now, there are a couple of little issues we could talk about um, that he mentioned here. He said that he would say things to Randy like, you know, well, you only believe that because you were born where you were and when you were. Uh, you're probably already familiar. That's what's known as the genetic fallacy. And it's not, it's the idea that you, it's criticizing a person's belief based on how they got the belief instead of, uh, you know, ch challenging the belief itself. So uh, as I've said before on this channel, if you come to believe that the earth is round because you read it in a comic book. That's a terrible source of authority. That's a horrible reason to believe that the earth is round. But guess what? If that's why you believe it, but you do believe the earth is round, guess what? You're still right, even if the way you got there was a little bit silly. And uh, in the same way, if it's true that the only reason that I'm a Christian today is because I grew up in a conservative Christian evangelical family in the American South, um, well, that, that may be why I'm a Christian. It doesn't mean that my faith is false because of it. It doesn't mean that Christianity is false as a result. Um, and we could go through and talk about some of the gospel challenges that he brought or resurrection challenges that he brought, um, as he said that he challenged Randy. But that's not really the point of this video. In this, I've got other videos where we do that. Go check out the Bart Ehrman video. Check out the Dan Barker video. Check out some of those. But what I really want to emphasize here is that God is instrumental in, I think, uh, uh, putting David in a place where he would hear this message from the right person. Now, was apologetics important? You might say, well, yeah, I mean, he's in prison, he's down on his luck, he's upset. So uh, naturally he's going to be looking for, for something more. And if you know the testimony later, he, he starts fasting to try to compete with Randy and ends up really putting himself in a bad situation. And maybe that's part of it. Maybe it just weakened everything about him to the point that he could, uh, that, that, that he was more open to this. Oh, well, maybe, but that's not exactly how it sounds. It sounds a little bit deeper than that. Let's just go ahead and hear what he has to say once he becomes a bit more open to this issue. Lying on my back day after day, reflecting on life and theology and philosophy, three things started to destabilize my entire belief system. First, what's called the design argument finally hit me. I was looking at a wall and how the bricks were arranged. And I thought to myself, you know, if someone told me that these bricks went into this order by some process that didn't involve intelligence, I'd smack them in the mouth. And yet I believe that life formed without intelligence when the most basic living cell is unimaginably more complicated than some bricks stacked on a wall. Why did I blindly accept the extraordinary claim that life arose spontaneously from non-life without demanding some very good evidence. Second, I found out how Jesus' apostles died. Most of them went to their bloody desk claiming that they had seen him risen from the dead. My explanation for the origin of Christianity had always been that the apostles made up a story so that they could spread his message. But now my explanation wasn't making sense. If you're willing to die for something, you have to believe it. When a terrorist blows himself up, he's obviously sincere. So the disciples, the apostles, had to believe what they were dying for, but this means that they were 
they were convinced that they had seen Jesus risen from the dead. Now, usually when someone is willing to lay down their life for something, it's for an ideology that they got from someone else. And that ideology could be true or false. The disciples were dying for something that they saw. What could have convinced so many different people that they had all seen a resurrected man? I could explain one witness by saying he's crazy, but all of them? Something was going on here and I had to figure it out, but I couldn't come up with any explanation for why they had that level of confidence other than they actually saw him. Third, I started worrying that Jesus might actually be better than me. Now, if you're not a complete moral relativist or maybe one of the new atheists, it's probably obvious to you that Jesus is better than me. But I wasn't the clearest thinker on moral issues back then, so uh, getting my mind around this was very difficult. Here's the problem that emerged. I had two beliefs that just didn't go together. On the one hand, I believe that human beings are lumps of cells, meaningless lumps of cells, and that everything we did was pointless. At the same time, I believe that I was the best, most important person in the entire world. How is it possible to be the best, most important, worthless lump of cells? If there were to be some sort of best person, that would require something like, uh, you know, a standard of good. And that would require something like God, and then someone like Jesus would be better than me. So my beliefs were breaking down at the foundational level. And once the foundations start crumbling, everything starts coming down. I went from believing that I was the best person in the world to thinking that I was the worst person in the world. Okay, so we'll stop it there. But what I want you to notice is apologetics was very much a part of David's story. David began to put the pieces together. So uh, the apologetics led to ultimately to his conversion experience, along with uh, just his existential considering of life and who Jesus was and what what it would take for someone to be able to forgive him of his sins and all these kind of things and Randy and the whole bit. But now, you, what I often hear from skeptics is that, well, when people come to faith, it's, it's not usually because of the apologetics. I mean, Pine Creek uh, over at his channel often says that it's usually some girlfriend, some spouse, you know, uh, that's the best thing that apologetics has or that Christianity has is that some spouse or girlfriend or whatever um, is a Christian. And, and so the, the husband or wife, uh, you know, wants to please that person so they're, or they're more open to it or whatever, and they become a Christian. Or in his case, he's down on his luck. He's there with this guy, Randy. He makes friends with Randy. He starts fasting. This puts him in a position. Or in other, we'll see in other examples here in just a few moments, there are other things. Here's what I want to say about this. And, and I really want you guys to get this because I, I want you to know that this channel is here because I love you. I don't know you, but I love you. I care about you. And you can roll your eyes or think, well, Braxton doesn't, he, this is just what apologists or Christians say. I really do mean it. I don't have to do this. I do this in part. We Listen, we have far more listeners to our podcast than we do to our YouTube channel. I'm doing this because I want to reach people for Christ because I believe that Christianity is true. And what I want to say about this is that, yes, it may be that the way that um, the, the, the apologetics is part of it, but not the whole story. Um, that the Holy Spirit is involved, that the orchestration of events are involved, such that 
Um, the apologetics is one piece, but not the whole piece. Uh, God answering prayers by, um, by influencing events is another piece uh, that the person's free will is involved and they could reject if they want to, but perhaps a spouse comes along and all it takes is circumstances in life, whatever they may be. It could be a romance. It could be a friend. It could be a cellmate. But circumstances in life shift such that now a person who either wasn't considering this thing or wasn't open to it are now open to it or considering it. So, for instance, uh, the vast majority of people are not YouTube apologists or YouTube atheists. They're, they're just people, and they're, they may be an atheist. They may identify as an atheist and really believe that there is no God or, or at least they lack a belief in God or however you want to say that. But they're, they're, they don't think about these metaphysical issues very often in their lives. They're thinking about, uh, I guess I ought to go get a Starbucks now, or what are we going to do after I get off work today, or I've got to get this next project done. But they're not sitting around thinking about these things to the degree that probably someone watching a video like this probably is, at least most of the time. So an event in life, a person that comes into your life may cause you to focus more on that issue. And, and there may be a natural openness there that would have been there all along, but you never really spent the time to consider it as deeply as you are now. Or in the case of someone who is kind of more militant in their position, like maybe some of you who are atheist commenters out there, and this can happen to Christians too. I'm not picking on you. And, and if this isn't you, then hey, if the shoe doesn't fit, don't wear it. But maybe you, you know, you, you've, you, maybe you started looking into this stuff, and, and once you became an atheist or came out as an atheist, perhaps that your family started questioning you, and, and maybe this, so you started studying it more to have responses to them. And then because people like talking about what they know, you had all this knowledge about atheism and the defenses of your position and the challenges to Christian faith that now you enjoy watching videos about it and commenting or making your own videos or whatever else. And for such a person, whether they're a Christian apologist or an atheist or an agnostic or a Muslim or whatever, there is a, a certain amount of, of skin in the game that you then have. And so, yeah, someone coming into your life, like a wife or a girlfriend or a husband or a boyfriend or a new friend or some situation like a cellmate, yeah, you, that may actually tear down a little bit those defenses that you may not even realize that you had. And so now you're more open to say, okay, well, I'm, okay, I'm going to take a second look, or I'm going to look at this more deeply. So to say, to say as a criticism, well, the reason people come to faith is because of things like that. Yeah, partly. And apologetics may be part of it. Apologetics may not be a part of it at all. And in some cases, I actually warn Christians, apologetics isn't necessary. If you're talking to someone who already believes in God, then don't go out of your way to give three theistic arguments. That'd be a waste of everyone's time, right? Uh, apologetics may not even be necessary. And sometimes with atheists, I've seen them come to faith just with a proclamation of the gospel, without any defense, without any Christian apologetics. Sometimes apologetics is part of it. But here's why that happens. It's because you are a multifaceted person. You're a relational person. You are a person who has um, who uh, has free will, and you can accept or reject, at least as far as I'm concerned. But you can be influenced by moral issues, by emotional issues, by intellectual issues. And you can, uh, apologetics can help you over some of those intellectual hurdles, and sometimes those emotional hurdles. But why is it that, that sometimes there are more things involved in a conversion testimony than just the apologetics? It's because God's not stupid. 
God is pursuing you. God loves you. And God is coming after you in every way that he can. And so he's throwing at it. All, yes, he knows what you're going to do, but he's throwing at you the, the things that the, a multifaceted approach so that it's why would he limit himself to just one thing? You know, um, even we don't operate that way. I had someone recently ask me in the comments uh, because I was talking about the power of prayer and they said, OK, well, if someone's choking, do you pray for them or do you the, do you do the Heimlich maneuver? I said, well, you can breathe a prayer while you're doing the Heimlich maneuver, but I, but I get what you're trying to do. You're trying to set up a situation where I can either do one thing or the other, pray or the Heimlich maneuver. Well, I'm probably going to do the Heimlich maneuver because why would I ask for God to do something, to, to bring uh, support in a situation when I can bring the support immediately? He already brought the support in that I'm there and I can do the Heimlich maneuver. Uh, but why would I limit myself to one thing or the other? It's like they think if we want to be consistent, we just sit around praying all the time for everything. Well, the Bible does say pray without ceasing, but we pray and we go out and be the hands and feet of the Lord in the world. And so it, why limit yourself to one thing or the other? And God doesn't limit himself. There's apologetic evidence. There is the immediate conviction of the Holy Spirit in someone's life. There are uh, circumstantial arrangements. There are persons that come into your life. And all of those things can be important in this. Now, someone might ask, well, where is your free will in that? Well, that might be where the Calvinists and I would differ a little bit, but it's a minor point. Well, the way I would say that is you have free will. And in each of these stories, you'll notice that there were Christians who God used that Christian to be the person. Well, Christians are open to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. I'll talk more about that in just a few moments, but let's, uh, let's go on to the next person that we're going to take a look at. And that's actually one of David Wood's friends. And it's... Uh, uh, I hope I pronounced this guy's right, that guy's name right. Uh, Guillaume or Guillamo or Guillama <laughs> Bignon. I know Bignon, I think Bignon is right. I actually read one of his books. He's got an incredible, very scholarly academic book on, uh, from a Calvinist perspective, from a compatibilistic determinist perspective of how God is not to blame for, uh, or how he's not responsible for moral uh, evils. Now, I actually disagree with him about his Calvinism, and so, but I read the book, and it was the best defense I've ever seen from a Christian compatibilist, and so I recommend it to you, especially those of you who are Calvinist viewers. Um, so, but anyway, he was an atheist, and at, at this point in his life, when, when he became a Christian, he was, uh, I, I think he was young and in school and into some academic stuff, and I think he was a volleyball player and things like that. You can watch his testimony as well. I'll put all the links for all these in the description. But, um, but, but he was an atheist and living a very secular life. In fact, I think that's what we're going to hear first. And it's actually David Wood, the guy that, was just, that we just looked at, who's actually questioning uh, uh, Bignon on this. So let's take a listen to that now. So it sounds like you're sort of living the, the secular atheist dream, right? You're, you're, I wasn't complaining. You're, uh, you're, you're in sports, you're playing music, getting lots of girls, something obviously happened to change your mind about things. So yeah. what, what's going on? Well, it was an unusual set of circumstances. I went on vacation with my older brother to the Caribbean in the island of St. Martin. Is he um, tall like you? Yes, he is, okay. and he plays also volleyball. So okay. we went there together, essentially trying to have a good time with tropical weather, white sand, uh, turquoise blue water, and the occasional beach volleyball game. So mm -hmm. what's not to like? And given the ungodly amount of vacation that we have in France, we went there for three and a half weeks. Hmm. And during our stay over there, we one day went to a little bit of a distant beach. Um, and coming back from the beach, uh, for some reason, that day we decided to come back hitchhiking. 
I had never hitchhiked in my entire life until that day and I have never done it ever since. But for some reason it was decided we would hitchhike our way home. So we start hitchhiking and uh, a few minutes after there's a car that stops in there where there was two tourists, two women from the United States. One, one was from Miami, the other one was from New York. And they were actually not stopping to pick us up. They were stopping to ask for directions mm -hmm. and they were lost on their way from the airport to their hotel. As it turns out, the hotel or the airport were nowhere near the beach at which they, were, they came to pick us up. So they were clearly way lost. And here they were asking for directions. Now, they told us where they were going. And it turns out that their hotel was right next door to the house at which we were staying. So we told them, well, look, we're happy to tell you. Just pick us up and we'll go there. So we get in and uh, they were attractive enough that uh, I started flirting and we were trying to see them again on the, on the island before we left. And it turned out that we did and I ended up dating the one who was in New York. And uh, I quickly found out though that uh, she was a professing Christian. She said that she believed in God. Okay, now we're going to go on in just a minute. That's not the most flattering shot. Which, on yeah. there. Yeah, that's a little better. So, uh, <laughs> so, so here we have uh, a, a, a great example of exactly what some of these skeptics say. Oh, it's just because he wanted to date this girl. It's just because of that. That's what got him into the Christianity. Yeah, partly. That's part of it. It's a big deal. God is not stupid. God comes at people in whatever way it takes to open them up. And they can still resist. But the fact that now he there's this girl that is important to him in his life, and she happens to be a Christian, and okay, well, maybe I need to take a closer look at this. It doesn't mean that the apologetics, the evidence, the facts didn't wasn't important to him. It's just that this uh, this this girl made him open up to it a little bit. So let's keep going. In my own worldview at that time was pretty much an intellectual suicide. And also attached to that problematic belief was her belief that sex only belonged in marriage, which is even crazier than theism, if that was at all possible. So here we are now in this long distance relationship because I flew back to Paris, she flew back to New York. And here we were, and I, I essentially had religion standing in our way of being happy and together. So my new goal in life was to try to show her why her Christian beliefs were silly, mm -hmm. that she should put all these nonsense. Now, notice, though, to the criticism that, well, he just wanted to you know, resolve this so he could have this relationship with this girl. If someone considers that and becomes, uh, you know, and, and is open to it from the jump and becomes a Christian, well, great. What if someone's goal is to show the Christian that they're wrong, but that then makes them focus on this more? I mean, that's what happened to Lee Strobel. That's what happened to Bignon. That's what happened uh, partly to David Wood. That happens all the time. And it kind of demonstrates the strength of the Christian worldview, which is if you will remain open to it, if you'll be open to it, well, then it's, uh, you know, if you really are open, then it's all there. You can believe. What you need is circumstances in life to put you in a position where you are open to it. So let's, let's keep going. Nonsense behind her and why we should be happy together. And if I was going to be criticizing Christianity, at least I needed to know what Christianity teaches. And so I picked up a Bible and I started to read about Jesus. And what I found there was a little bit feeling and tasting differently than I had expected. What I saw in Jesus was a person who was speaking with authority and he was maneuvering in conversation in ways that were pretty impressive. He was clearly, he knew what he was talking about and that started to put a little bit of an awkward 
uh, fact for me to handle. I knew that at some point I would need to have some account of who I thought this Jesus was. Mm -hmm. Because I, 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 I was the same way when, yeah. when, I, when I when I read uh, uh, I before I was a Christian I read Matthew Mark and John and uh, I was really impressed I was really impressed when I read the words of, of, of Jesus for the, for the, the same reasons you mentioned mm -hmm. yeah and, and even yeah now what you might be thinking at this point is you might think well yeah okay but how do I know any of that stuff ever happened you know this was all stuff that was written after the fact by we don't know who and of course they arranged it so that Jesus looked clever you know just like Sherlock Holmes is uh, you know always gonna look like the most brilliant detective because he's not real somebody wrote that so that he would look like the most brilliant detective I've heard it all, but here, here's the thing. Um, in in the if you just picked up the Gospels off of like if you just if you didn't have any idea what the Gospels were and you just picked them up on the beach, and you opened them up and you began to read and you didn't know what this document was, you didn't know anything about it. What would you conclude about what type of literature this is or what type of a document this is? Would you conclude that it's obviously mythological? No, no, no. no I don't think you would. Most people wouldn't. Uh, because you're not seeing like these in the Gospels, like, you know, suddenly these, you know, big, you know, mythological things happening. You see miracles, which are based in real geographic places uh, with people who are named and things like that. And I get it. Uh, just because you have a real New York City that's this place for your story doesn't mean Spider-Man exists. I, I get it. Again, I've heard all this stuff. But you would read it, and if you didn't know any differently, you'd say, okay, it looks like somebody's writing some kind of a history here. Now, it looks like maybe they're talking about some pretty wild stuff. You might even think they're exaggerating or something. But they would read like, like some kind of a history, and they are. They're biography. They're Greco-Roman biography, and so they would read like history. Not like our history, but like history in some way, right? So you, you would conclude that. Secondly, um, so it, uh, Guillermo Bignon, or however you say his name, <laughs> sorry, uh, is not an idiot. This is a this is an academically minded guy. Um, now at this point, he's he's very well aware of all the criticisms, all of the uh, textual criticisms, all the responses that skeptics bring to the historical Jesus, and all these sorts of things. So it, this stuff holds up. It's just you can't go into it. You know, unfortunately, what I think happens a lot of times is that skeptics will say, okay, well, the Bible is. Um, Christian propaganda material. So we can't use the Bible as a source for our consideration. It's got nothing to say to history. It's got nothing. This is not how real scholars work. Um, the fact is, anyone who's going to do real research wants to go to the primary sources. And the Gospels and the rest of the New Testament are the best sources on the life of Jesus and the growth of the early church. So you're being somewhat dogmatic and not and kind of narrow-minded and already decided if you're not going to look at the Gospels as, you know, uh, historical documents that you can use to try to figure out what happened. And in fact, people who are not Christians who are doing historical Jesus studies, they actually do that. They, they, don't, they don't take it for granted that the Bible is the Word of God. They don't take it for granted that it's just Christian propaganda material and therefore should be ignored. What they do is they go line by line and they try to say, okay, is that, what, what reason do we have to believe this is probably true? And they go through the whole, the whole thing that way, right? So, um, so but at this point, uh, Guillermo is just reading these historical documents and he's very impressed. Even at the time, even as an atheist, I never really bought into the whole Jesus myth theory. Mm -hmm. I, it never occurred to me that Jesus was a mythological figure in some sort of fairy tale. It seemed clear, at least minimally, that he was a historical person mm -hmm. who walked the roads of Palestine in the first century. And, so, and that, that, that's, that's another parallel, by the way, in that, in that when I was reading the Gospels, I'm thinking I'm actually reading uh, first century accounts of, uh, of of the early church, and you know, because you, you you see all kinds of atheists nowadays on you know on YouTube and 
they're so far away from scholarship, they have no clue what they're, what they're talking about, and that the genre of the Gospels is first century Greco-Roman right. biography. Um, so we were on the same page there in that we're both taking this seriously as early, as early accounts of, of yeah. Jesus, which, which is cool because that's, that's what scholarship agrees on that's nowadays, right. so, so we were right. Without knowing we were actually on the right path. Mm -hmm. But also, it seems like his teachings were taken seriously enough and his impact on his disciples was such that they were prepared to say, I've seen this and I vouch for him. And also they were then testifying that they had seen him risen from the dead after his crucifixion. And they were ready to go to their graves for the truth of that belief. So at that point, I thought this is at least some set of events that I need to have an account for. And I wasn't really sure how I would resolve this, but I figured at some point I will need to give an account of who I thought Jesus was. But I wasn't, no, I wasn't anywhere near changing my mind at this point. Uh, I couldn't even have ended up in church even if I wanted to. Okay, now I'm going to skip ahead, but again, I encourage you to go check out his entire testimony. But so now we've seen that uh, God used some influences in his life to open him up to this stuff. Now there was some uh, biblical material, uh, thinking carefully about the historical Jesus, and this seems like a historical figure. I don't, I don't buy into this myth stuff. And they were willing to, the, 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 you know, the disciples really didn't have any reason to lie about this, and they were willing to die for it. So there's some apologetics related to the resurrection of Jesus going on there. And now we come to this moment where he goes to church for the first time, and all, I, I guess, and all of this comes together. So we're going to take a listen here. And I went, walked into that church, and I remember feeling oppressed. Oops, I've got it on. I've got it on double speed. Let's put it back on normal. Sorry about that. By the, the clear knowledge that if any of my friends or family could see me there in a church, I would die of shame. And so the whole thing was really awkward. And I was seeing these people and um, they looked like they genuinely believed what they were doing. They were praying and they thought that the God was literally hearing their prayers. Of all things. So the whole thing was awkward for me. And I sat down in the corner trying not to meet anybody and I listened to the preacher and to this day I don't remember a word that the preacher said I figured I've seen enough so I jumped to my feet and I walked to the back of the church trying to escape and being careful not to make eye contact so I wouldn't have to introduce myself to any of those weirdos and I reached the exit door at the back of the church opened it and I literally had one foot out the door when a blast of chills grabbed me in the stomach, going all the way in my chest and grabbed me by the throat. And I was frozen on the doorstep with goosebumps all over. A anything and like that ever happened before? Not quite. <laughs> and so, but you know, I, I was there frozen and I heard myself thinking, well, this is ridiculous. I have to figure this out. And so I closed the door in front of me, turned around and I went straight to the head pastor and said, so you believe in God, huh? He looked at me and said, yes said well how does that work out and he said we can talk about it and so he waited till everyone was gone and then we went to his office and he prayed for me which i thought was a bit awkward but at least it was reassuringly consistent at least he really believed his stuff and so then we started talking and we started to answer some of my question what is this christianity thing and he he was a man who didn't have necessarily a formal training in apologetics or providing good arguments in favor of Christianity in the way that you and I now know too, but he had consistent answers within his own worldview and that was impressive in its own right. He was a man who clearly wasn't out of his mind. He, was, uh, he thought on his feet 
and he was educated and yeah, he and, thought and, that God existed and that Jesus was raised from the dead. And, that, that, and that's important because uh, th this was a problem I had when I, when I ran into a Christian who actually knew what he was talking about, that I, I was shocked, right? I, any discussion with a Christian should be a massacre, right? Should. I, I should just slaughter this person. Yeah. And so when, you, when, when I didn't, it was, what's, what's going on here, right? Because mm -hmm. I thought all of these guys were just complete morons and yes. here's someone who, who, who isn't. Yeah, and so I wasn't necessarily aggressive with that person, but I was trying to understand how these views make sense. And he just had coherent answers and he was essentially explaining me what Christianity is. So for a number of weeks after that, I just made appointments to come and talk with him and we just exchange on the ideas of Christianity. He tried to slowly walk me through the basics of Christianity. Okay, so, so you can kind of see how this is going. So we don't, we don't have to listen to the whole thing, although I encourage you to. But I want you to notice how there's a number of things here. So, number one, we have the girl that is a social situation that opens him up. He starts looking at the Bible initially to convince her that it's all bunk, right? And then he, he starts being impressed by this and kind of we get some apologetics. And he's interested enough that he ends up at church one day, feels really weird, all these weirdos, he even calls them weirdos. But then as he's trying to get out of there as quickly as he can, something just stops him and he actually has some kind of a, you know, immediate almost holy spirit type stop you in your tracks type experience which frankly i, I gotta tell you when i listen to some of the youtube atheists like matt dillahunty and others talk about how they had these experiences uh that, that that christians describe and they can get the same experiences from drugs or sex or whatever it is or music no i'm not sure you experienced what we're talking about here and i don't want to come across at all as condescending and i don't want to question your past but for those of us who have had some kind of a, a real experience in worship or, or in a, something like this that does stop you in your tracks, it's not, you don't get off that easy. God doesn't let you off that easy. Now, let me say something else at this point. This is what God did for Binyan. It doesn't mean that's what's going to happen in your life. Uh, David Wood didn't say that there was some physiological, you know, grab you in your chest type chill that came over him. He didn't have that at his conversion experience unless I missed it or something. Um, a lot of people don't. I didn't. But I have had experiences in my life that are similar to that. But not every Christian does. See, the thing about it is, as we've said many times before, faith, uh, the biblical word is pistis. And it means trust or loyalty or something like that. So you don't get to start levitating off the ground when you become a Christian so that you know that you're now a Christian. Uh, you're not a Jedi. You're a Christian. What you do is you see that there's good reason to believe this is true, and then you trust God that he's going to do in the future what he said he would do based on what we have good reason to believe that he's done in the past. And it may not be that you ever get the feels the way that you want to. It may be that you will. Many people do. But it, it's not a guarantee. Um, so if it did, doesn't happen for you that way, that's not like a test of faith. The, the, the thing that needs to be important here is, does it look like this is the truth about the way the world is? And Guillermo was already heading that way before this moment. So God is going to bring to an individual what that individual needs. And it, it, in Guillermo's case, I'm probably saying his name wrong. <laughs> it, may, it may have been something a little different. Uh, but God's going to use the tools that are in his tool belt to reach a person. So anyway, but what you see here is a number of things. The apologetics was just one thing. Prayer, um, uh, uh, a, a real obvious sort of religious experience. Uh, apologetics, uh, social relationships, these things are all at play. 
Um, let's let's move forward uh, and and move to the next and last person that we're going to look at a video from. Now, in this case, we have a medical doctor who very much had everything that he needed, um, and he didn't really have any reason. You know, but his wife is a Christian, if I understand it correctly, and the neighbors are Christians, and he kind of feels whether this is true or not. He suspects that the neighbors kind of look down on him because he's not a Christian. And so he goes to the Bible, too, to find ways to make them look silly. And so we're going to hear what happens here. First, we're going to hear from his wife. And I was praying for him. I really was. It got to a point where I was just like, I give up. You know, I was like, really? I'm like, God, you've got you to do something. Greg spent weeks studying and researching. He realized Christianity hinged on one event, the resurrection. I started before looking for every possible explanation that would say it didn't happen. You know, did Jesus, maybe he didn't die. Well, that wasn't true. Even in the Journal of the American Medical Association, doctors had concluded that he definitely died. Uh, maybe the apostles stole the body. I mean, maybe they were seeing hallucinations, all these different theories. But the problem was none of them were credible. None of them made sense. The only explanation from the historical facts, the way it was set up with the Roman guards and everything, was that the tomb was empty and he actually rose. The real thing that got me was the Apostle Paul, because here's a guy, he's Jewish, he's killing Christians, he has nothing to gain. What in the world could make this guy go and be the greatest evangelist ever? There was only one explanation, and that was with, that he saw the risen Lord Jesus Christ. So when I looked at the resurrection, looked at the evidence of these guys and their changed lives, I said, I, I, I have to believe it. Now Greg had the answer or at least he thought he did. Okay, now notice at this point, now I, there's there's part of me that just wants to dive into all that evidence and show why, yes, the scholars do believe that Paul was a real person and that, that Paul did go from a uh, persecutor to, a, a, you know, Christianity's most able, you know, proponent or whatever. But I, I want to go into all that stuff, all the resurrection details, but go check out the Bart Ehrman video that I did for that or go listen to my debate with Matt Dillahunty. But what I want to focus on here is, okay, so now we had the prayer. His wife said she was praying for him. She didn't really have a lot of hope, but she prayed, God, if this is going to happen, it's gonna, you're going to be the one to do it. And then the apologetics came. He was trying to show that, that, there, that this, there was no reason to believe this stuff. He now comes to the conclusion, I guess it's true, but that doesn't mean he's a Christian yet. Because one thing we want to point out on this channel regularly is coming to believe intellectually that Christianity is true is different than repenting of your sins and committing your life to Christ. Um, so let's go ahead and see what happens next. Christianity is okay, you know, he really did it. And if you believe and he sees that you go to church and you're trying to do the right thing, then when you die, you'll go to heaven. I mean, what more could there be? Greg was about to find out. It started after he treated a walk-in patient at work. I went in, you know, told him if he had any questions to ask me, and he was just staring me like dead in the eye. And that's when he came out and just said, have you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal savior? And I about passed out. I wasn't expecting that. And I, all this other stuff was happening at the same time. I'm like, well, how does he know? Why is he asking me this? Who is this guy? And I kind of just bolted out of the room and says, I'll be right back because I didn't know what to do. So, okay, so, so what, what I want you to notice here, you could probably, you're probably getting the, the scheme now again. So in each of these cases, we've had something like this. But now in his case, was it just the apologetics? No, but that was a big part of it. 
Um, then his wife was praying for him. Obviously, his wife is an influence. There's there's other stuff going on here. And now here's this guy <laughs> saying, are you a Christian? Have you ever trusted Jesus as your Savior? Oh, and we need to finish. Let's see if, there's, if it happens pretty quickly because there's something else pretty interesting about this one. A few nights later, Greg began thinking about his life. There were things in my life that I, you know, wanted to change, you know, the anger, the frustration, but I didn't have the power to change. And so it just kind of all culminated where I just kind of broke down crying and asking God to forgive me and basically just, you know, kind of repented of my sins and asked him to change me and that I, I wanted to, you know, live a new life. The very next morning, Greg noticed something was different. I was just like completely peaceful. I wasn't frustrated. I wasn't feeling angry. I felt content for no reason. So I quickly expected everything to dissipate and go back. But as I began to live that day, I realized, you know, hey, there's something really different. So if I was different and feeling completely different, I had to have been changed or something in my biochemistry of my body had to be changed. I said, well, maybe somehow my antihistamine got switched out for something like Valium. So I went and checked my medicines and of course, you know, that wasn't it. Greg found out why he felt different in the book of Romans, chapter six. Basically what it said in there was that when you become a believer and get saved and the Holy Spirit comes into you, which is something I was completely unaware of, that the old person that you were somehow dies. And then it cross-referenced that to Galatians 5.22, which talks about how the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And I'm like, you know, hey, that's it. That's, that's how I feel. I've got that list. Later that night, Greg told Ruth what happened. It was a miracle to me because I didn't ever think that. Okay, now I know we're going on long, but this is, this is great what happens next. I just, just bear with me here. Greg could ever change. He was suddenly concerned about other people, which shocked me. Greg went looking for the patient who had talked to him. The problem was his name wasn't on the schedule anymore. I mean, it was handwritten in ink, and I knew exactly when it was, and it's not there. And I checked for like the whole month, and the guy basically wasn't there. His record was completely gone. There was no evidence that he ever came in the, in the office. Greg says while there's no doubt the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus are true, the real proof is in his changed life. I would Okay, so uh, I, again, that's pretty cool. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, you say, do you really believe like that, you know, God sent somebody in there, like we're entertaining angels type thing? And maybe, yeah, but maybe not. Maybe that was a fluke. Maybe they lost the records for this guy. Uh, but still, you know, that the story is still interesting. The arrangement of events such that this person was then um, more open uh, he got the evidence, and then he got a call uh, to respond from a stranger that he's never seen again. Now, this this is the thing that I want to say about all of this. You might say, yeah, but okay, you say we have free will, and so we could resist or accept. Yeah, on my theology. Um, but what about the Christian? What, what about the Christian? What about the girls who picked the binyan up from the, from the side of the beach? What about this guy that showed in? And came in and said, are you, are you a Christian? Have you repented of your sins? Well, didn't God have to override their wills and force them to be his puppets to ask these questions? No, because anybody who's been a Christian for very long knows what it's like. I won't say that. Um, 
I've been a Christian for, uh, you know, let's see, I'm 38 now, I guess, you know, I don't know. That's a good question. 30 years, something like that. Uh, <laughs> but when I first became a Christian, I didn't have something like this that I can recall. But over the years, I've had multiple occasions where I just felt compelled to go talk to someone, uh, to go share my faith with a particular person. When speaking, preaching, or lecturing, I have on occasion just felt compelled to say a certain thing, and I found myself saying it, but I didn't plan to say it. It wasn't in my notes. It just came out. And often that was exactly what someone needed to hear. So uh, Christians know what it's like to feel some kind of a prompting. If you're a Christian and you don't exactly know what that's like, it'll, I think it'll happen with you in time. If it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything, but I think that's a common enough thing that Christians have experienced that. So could I have been sitting on this guy's, you know, uh, hot in the, in the you know, hospital office or room or whatever and felt this compulsion? Hey, um, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm, I'm a preacher. You should know. You know, I, I, could I have done that? Yeah, conceivably. I've done stuff like that. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's not weird. So all this stuff works together, and it's a really beautiful thing. What about this feeling of sudden joy and peace and all these kind of things that he experienced? Not every Christian necessarily experiences that, but it's common enough. And I'll tell you something that's, that's uh, really amazing to me that, that I, I don't mind sharing with you because it's very personal. This week, uh, my daughter Jacqueline was, I got out of the car. She said, Daddy, will you, will you take a walk with me? And I said, where are we going? She said, I just want you to walk over here uh, where we live. There's like a little garden with a little cement you know, bench there underneath this beautiful weeping willow tree. And she said, would you just come and sit down there with me? So I did, and we sat there for a while. Nobody said anything. And I said, well, let's go see Mommy. And she said, no, Daddy, I have to talk to you about something serious. So I said, okay. She said, I want to get baptized. And I, and I, I try to approach this very cautiously. And I said, why? <laughs> and she said, well, because I don't think I'm a Christian. I said, you think getting baptized makes you a Christian? She said, no. So I said, okay, well, what makes you a Christian? She said, knowing Jesus. I said, how do you know Jesus? And she said, well, I'm a sinner. But you're a sinner too, she said to me. <laughs> I said, yeah, yeah, everybody's a sinner. She said, well, you, you have to, you, you have to uh, give up your sin. And I said, why, is, why are we able to do that? What did Jesus do for us? She said, well, he died on the cross to take our place. I said, okay. And she said, um, and, I, and I, wanted, I, wanna, I wanna have my sins forgiven. And I said, well, the Bible says you've gotta repent. Do you know what that means? No. And I said, well, that means you gotta turn from your life without Jesus to a life with Jesus. You've gotta repent. And the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10 and verse nine that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And she said, okay, well, I wanna do that. I said, are you sure? She said, yeah. I said, well, you realize that that means that for the rest of your life until you're 90 years old. And, and if you live longer, even beyond that, you're committing your life to Jesus. He's your Lord and you're going to serve him and do what he wants you to do. Yeah, that's what I want to do. Why wouldn't I? Of course I want to do that. And I said, well, okay, well, maybe we should think about it for a while. No, I don't want to think about it, daddy. And I said, well, okay. And I said, well, you know, I think it's appropriate to tell the Lord in prayer that you know you're a sinner, that you believe Jesus died for you and that you're ready to turn from your sin and turn to a life with him. But I'm not going to make you do that. If that's what you want to do, you, you need to do that. And she did. She prayed and repented of her sin and committed her life to Christ. Now, you can be skeptical of that. 
but I was about her age when it happened to me, and I'm still very emphatically a Christian. And the thing about it that was so beautiful, I told her, I said, you know, Jacqueline, I said, years and years from now, you can come back to this very spot where we sat on this cement bench underneath that old weeping willow tree, and you can know that's when I gave my life to Jesus. But here's the part that I really want you to notice. It was right after that. I said, how do you feel? She said, what do you mean? I said, well, I said, you know, I don't want you to think that if you don't feel different, that it means that what happened wasn't real. She said, but I do feel different. I feel happy. I said, you feel happy? Weren't you happy before? She said, no, now I'm really happy. Now, I'll tell you what, some people experience that, and that's a beautiful thing. But if you don't, we are physical human beings. It may be that you are physiologically, there's something going on in your body that you're not, you are not as easily excitable by things as other people are that you don't. You know, I told in one of the previous episodes of this show that there was occasion where um, I was preaching two Sunday morning services and, and one service, a medical doctor came forward and I think it was the second service, he came forward and gave his life to Christ. It was like a business transaction, very non-emotional. But in the first service, a woman just about did backflips down the aisle and gave her life to Christ. People are different. But for many people, there is this experience of peace. And for some of you out there, I think you need that. I mean, let's be honest. I know this sounds like a sales pitch, but I've got, I'm not getting any money for that. I just want, I, I'm just saying to you, listen, you, you're an atheist. I get it. You are skeptical of Christians, perhaps, or at least of me, some guy on YouTube, and you're watching this video and you say, I've heard all this before. Maybe, but nobody will know what's going on in your own mind and in your own heart. So without having to tell anybody, why don't you just think it through? Is it the case that maybe there's something going on here? That maybe what um, Bignon found and what David Wood found and what this doctor found, maybe there's something to it. And uh, maybe you watching this video right now is a little bit suspicious. And maybe you're in a position right now where you need Jesus. And maybe today is the day. If that is true, and you'd like to do what my daughter did, what I did, what these men did, then let me know. Contact me at BraxHunter at Yahoo.com, B-R-A-X-H-U-N-T-E-R at Yahoo.com. I'd love to hear about it. I'd love to talk to you further. And um, I also want to close by saying that uh, I had an amazing experience very similar to this in uh, Ireland that I've mentioned before where uh, I sat in a pew in a back room of a church before a question and answer night of apologetics. And I prayed, Lord, I just prayed for someone you'd answer all their questions, that a light bulb would go off in their head. And after the service, this uh, young woman in her late 20s, Amy, came and sat in the very spot where I had prayed that prayer. I didn't arrange that. She was already back there waiting on me with some women from the church. And she said that it was as though uh, a light bulb went on in her head. And as I began to answer questions, all her questions were answered. Listen, there is example after example of persons for whom God used apologetics in concert with other things in the person's life. Why? Because we serve a God who is not stupid and he loves you and he's doing everything he can to reach you right now. Why don't you stop running? Why don't you give in to him? 